Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I am Mike Schaefer, joined by Brian Christofferson, Michael Brunts. Gentlemen, football is back. We have a schedule. We have a start date. We have a kickoff time. Are you you, you starting to, to feel it a little bit? You watching games around the country? Seeing teams getting knocked off? Seeing other teams roll? Seeing Bo Pelini struggle against a passing offense? What uh, does it feel like football season for you, BC? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I got that uh, CBS theme song going Saturday, and that helped when I heard that. That kind of got the engine running. And then about mid-afternoon, when Texas was scuffling and LSU couldn't stop anything, I was kind of flipping between two or three games, and I was like, okay, this is this feels a little bit more like it's supposed to. So um, it, it, it wasn't full on like, okay, we're here, but we're, I, could, I could see the, the gas station where we're going to stop and get some snacks, and I was, I was excited about it. What about you, Brents? I know that you're, uh, you're mostly focused out west and after 9 o'clock at night, and with those games off the table, how have you been coping? Uh, it's been hard. The The only good thing I can say for the first few weeks of college football on that end of things was the Kansas uh, Coastal Carolina game starting late. I appreciated that. Um, <laughs> last, last week, it was awful. It was BYU and Troy were the only game that kicked off after like 8 o'clock. And that game was basically over by the start of the second quarter. So, I was footballless by about 10 p.m., and that's not a way I want to live. Yeah, that game wasn't uh, wasn't worth watching. Uh, it, it, you know, a couple weeks ago we talked about this. Brun said that he was jumping on the uh, the Mississippi State train. Do you uh, you feel good about that decision with an SEC record in Game One for Mike Leach? It it was fun. Um, I know a lot of people have probably not seen much of Mike Leach, given that most of his games take place after 1030 uh, Central Time. But uh, it, it was good to see. It was also good to see the uh, kind of lazy narrative of Mike Leach's offense not working in the SEC fall by the wayside. Um, I, know that, I know that LSU had some personnel issues. They were down a ton of guys, but – Mississippi State's going to be a really tough out, I think, in the SEC um, this season and going forward. I'm really interested and in, in looking forward to Mississippi State and Mississippi in the Egg Bowl um, with Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach involved. I, I, I'm not sure that I will be able to consume enough Egg Bowl content that week. Yeah, this, uh, this doesn't look like your older brother's SEC where everything's a wide receiver screen and a three and out and a punt. So you got a, you got a couple programs that are shaking some things up there, and I think that'll be, that'll be kind of fun to watch. Uh, let's, let's roll into Nebraska. So the Huskers have their schedule. They're getting Ohio State to start the season. We watched a, a major upset on Saturday for the second time in two years. Kansas State knocks off Oklahoma. When you see games like that, does that make you feel like it's more possible than what it seems for a Nebraska to, to finally stand up and, and knock off an Ohio State, a program that hasn't had to punt very often when taking on the Huskers in recent years? Brian, what do you think? It's a hard question since you don't know exactly what a 
team is going to look like the first week. But Ohio, here's what I would say. Ohio State is, is diff, a different animal than Oklahoma. And the reason is, if you look at the Buckeyes last year, and we go off of that, they were a complete team. They, I mean, obviously they're, they're great on offense, but, you know, they were tops in defense and yards per play allowed. And with Oklahoma, you're talking about a team that has a ton of talent on offense, a great offensive mind, but is <clears throat> middle to below average on defense for whatever recruits they get. They cannot put it together. They have not figured it out. And uh, they're just a, there's a complete mess there. And so they've got an area where they are completely vulnerable, and that was exposed by Kansas State, whereas Ohio State, at least from what we know of them last year, um, does not. So that's, that's where I kind of separate from that connection. Um, nonetheless, I do think the early weeks of this season um, have proven that it's going to get nuts. It's, it's going to get – there's going to be some oddball – happenings every week and I do believe um, if Nebraska handles this next month efficiently and some guys take some steps I do believe the possibility is open to uh, knock off you know a team or two in that first half of the schedule that people were kind of making fun of Nebraska for having to play I just don't know that it's going to be Ohio State what do you think Brooks yeah I think that's pretty a pretty good summation I mean it's one thing if it's Wisconsin or, you know, Penn State, but, I mean, Ohio State's just kind of a different animal um, from those. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I think w- with it, when it comes to Nebraska, you can look at it in a couple of ways. You know, offensively, you have a multi-year starting quarterback returning. You return everybody on your offensive line. Uh, tight ends, a veteran group. You've got a, a veteran running back. There's a lot of reasons why I think Nebraska can kind of buck the trend a little bit and play, you know, adequate football out of the gates. And, and from what we've seen around the country, I mean, a lot of these schools would probably take adequate. Um, you know, what, what I wonder about is on, on the defensive side of the ball, um, you know, on special teams, are, are those two units going to be ready to go right out of the gates, especially special teams? I mean, you, you're going to have, completely new faces. Uh, that's a group that needs to be significantly better than it was a year ago. And, you know, I, I just think uh, I, I have more confidence in the offense being able to hang with uh, teams like Ohio State or Wisconsin or Penn State than I do the defense right now. Maybe that's not a bad thing. I mean, if Nebraska can go out and just kind of turn games into track meets, I don't know that that's necessarily uh, a, a bad thing. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. I, I think the thing that worries me um, about Nebraska's early rough schedule, and I'm not one of those people's crying about it or at all, but I do think the defensive line guys, who I like a lot, their potential, it is going to be a trial by fire um, without any runway into it. You know what I mean? It's just like, here you go. Here's Ohio State. Here's Wisconsin for you, Ty Robinson and Damian Daniels and whoever is in that main rotation right off the bat. And maybe they're going to step right into it and uh, deliver some punches, and that would be that would be awesome. However, that is generally 
uh, a place on the field where I do think it takes some experience through through the games and sometimes through some tough Saturdays before you uh, you reach that level that that you want to. So that that's my concern, and because of that, I do kind of think you know Nebraska might have to get in some games where there's a lot of points on the board and where hopefully that offense, because Cam Jurgens has now figured out the snaps and at the last month of the season there seemed to be a little bit more fluidity there. Hopefully that is going to show right off the bat now, as opposed to, of course, a year ago where, we, I mean, we watched Nebraska play that South Alabama game and the offense was just so disjointed. It was, it was frankly difficult to sit through and watch. It was just ugly football. So that's the problem is you can't even afford a Saturday like that really off the bat. Otherwise you're just going to get taken to the woodshed. Yeah. I think you guys make some pretty strong points there and, Nebraska's offense definitely has to be at a different level than it was last year. And I think we've seen with these early football games, I mean, defense is just behind right now. And and I think that Nebraska was already going to have a little bit of a struggle, uh, you know, replacing some of what they lost defensively. But I, I feel confident that some of these guys, and we're going to get into it when we, we go to the defense side specifically, uh, some of these guys on the defensive line, like I'm, I'm pretty intrigued by – what a Feldarius Payne can give you in an obvious passing situation, what Jordan Riley can do if Ty Robinson's ready to make a jump in his second year and his first full year of playing. I mean, I think there's some, some guys there that are going to help people move on from the Davis twins and <clears throat> excuse me, from the Daniels. So uh, just kind of looking at that. I mean, I, I like where things sort of sit. The biggest question is always with that defense and we'll spend a lot of time on it here. Uh, shortly is, is that linebacker group. And so, but I do want to start with the offensive side of the ball. As you guys were talking about, they were disjointed at times last year. It felt like they struggled to figure out what they were as a team, which is a little confusing given that I, I seem to think that, you know, with Scott Frost, they were going to have a, a pretty carved out identity. To me, at the end of the year, it looked like Nebraska was relying uh, nicely on a power running game with Diedrich Mills, that offensive line got going. How important is it, BC, do you think, for Nebraska's offensive line to avoid starting slow, like they have each of 2018 and 2019? You got a veteran group. Obviously, you got Ohio State in week one and Wisconsin in week two. Nebraska's going to need that offensive line, I think, to kind of set up everything they want to do in the passing game uh, and to let Diedrich Mills get loose early. Yeah, I mean, they're the guys that have to take over. And one of the big problems really in the first couple of years for Frost's offense has been there ha even those Saturdays when they've moved the football, they've had a few too many games where they sort of get down to the 30 or 40 yard line. And then there's a, it's like a force field, you know, like you can't, they, ju they just can't be, be efficient in finishing off the whole drive. Um, they do have to obviously get the running game going. Um, this is so simplistic, but obviously you need a first down to get a drive going. But with Frost's offense, it feels like they're, they're going to need that, that start to series where in the first play or two, maybe you get that little explosive play of 12 yards or whatever, and then you are playing the game on your terms. You're dictating. You're playing at your tempo. The defense is on its heels. Um, they're having trouble communicating and all that. And 
Nebraska's problem last year too often was they couldn't get that rhythm where you string like that one play, you get that one play to just get it going. And, and then you take off from there. And uh, whether that happens in the run game or the pass game, it doesn't really matter to me, uh, but that they, 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 they're going to need some of those explosives. And I guess in explosives by this case, I mean like a mid range explosive, like a 10 to 15 yard play, uh, on the opening set of downs, you get your first down, you get up to the line, you're, and you're, you're in charge then. And uh, a big part of that then is you've got Cam Jurgens, who has hopefully you know, come a long ways in kind of being the command center there. And then you can operate really quickly, and the guys understand what he's calling and all that, and it feeds off one another. And that's what needs to happen early on, and, and they have a chance to do that. That's what's exciting. The, the other big piece of all of this, Brunts, is, is Nebraska's wide receiver room is going to look dramatically different. Uh, gone is J.D. Spielman. Gone are the seniors that Nebraska had. Uh, returning is Wandale Robinson and then a whole host of question marks. Obviously, we're not going to get to see practice leading up to this season. We've, we've seen some clips and some highlights. What, how do you kind of break down this receiver group without a whole lot of experience beyond a, a true sophomore? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, Wandale being there more helps. I, I think you're going to have – I think offensively that's the position group where you're going to be challenged the most right out of the gates to have guys who are difference makers. I mean, I, I think, you know, when you look at the way the schedule is, um, you know, regardless of who Nebraska would have played first, you would have liked to have had a few non-conference games to kind of get – some of those guys used to the offense, used to the speed of the game uh, in an actual game and, and kind of caught up that way. So, you know, you, you're going to need Omar Manning to be the guy. You're going to need Wandale Robinson to uh, give you a lot right out of the gates. I mean, I feel like Nebraska's already asked a ton of Wandale Robinson early in his career, but that's where we are. So, you know, the, the, I think the explosive plays part of it that Brian hit on is an important one and, and starting fast. Um, you know, just looking back through some of Nebraska's stats from last season, on game opening drives in conference play, they only had one one game where they scored on the first drive of the game. Not, and not just a field goal, that's any points. Um, you know, to start the second half, they kicked a field goal at, at Purdue and they kicked a field goal at Maryland to start the second half. But other than that, there was really nothing coming out of the locker room. So, you know, I, I think you're going to need the, the, the wide receivers to make plays and, and also, uh, you know, kind of do it on their own a little bit too after the catch. But, um, you know, that, that's the group, I think, offensively that, that probably worries me the most out of the gates. And I do think, though, kind of back to, to what you mentioned about kind of having a, an identity, I think if Nebraska can run the ball between the tackles early in games and, and early in the season, I think that will help everything. Uh, immensely. Um, so we'll see if they can do that. I think that's where having a, a veteran offensive line probably helps everybody uh, a little bit more in that area in terms of just being able to move the chains and not being having to, to face third and long so often. Of course, the, the key to all of this is what version of Adrian Martinez is Nebraska going to get? Are they going to get the guy that went into Ohio State as a freshman and had the Huskers on the cusp of a monumental upset? Are they going to get the guy that was a Heisman candidate after his freshman year? Or are they going to get the guy that struggled against Purdue, missed open passes, was hurt at times, didn't look as assertive uh, when running, and, and overall kind of had a, a pretty severe sophomore slump? I mean, 
a lot of questions on this offense, but BC, it's really uh, imperative, I think, for Nebraska that Adrian Martinez shows some growth here in his third year with the program, third year with Verduzco, third year with Frost, because a lot's riding on his ability to move this offense and, and have mm-hmm. them in sync. Yeah, I'll, Mario Verduzco, I think Mario Verduzco does, plays a little jazz, right, doesn't he? He, he's he's involved. Doesn't he play an instrument? Uh, I but he's feel, a guitar player. Yeah, uh, I I feel like he'd be a good jazz guitar is, player. Is guitar part of the jazz? I mean, I'm not a music person, but is that I, like is that a jazz instrument? Brunch, you would know. Yeah, I think so. I think it can be. I think Mario would bring some jazz to it. I I was leading to, I think Adrian Martinez, his freshman year, he felt like he was more of a jazz musician out there. He could improvise and he just, he, he was letting his instincts take over. And I felt like for whatever reason, he lost a little of that last year. And um, I'll give you a good example. Remember his freshman year, he, he had that play where he, he, he was in trouble and he, made kind of a boneheaded move where he tried to throw it to Spielman and it was a lateral and it ended up being a fumble as they were driving against the Buckeyes and Ohio state got the ball and it was, it was a bad play on the surface. Yes. But I also thought for how Adrian was playing at the time, it sort of was like he was on a roll with sort of improvising and, and making stuff out of nothing and, and being willing to, take the right kind of chances and occasionally it would backfire but there was a lot of really good stuff that came with it and I really actually like that Adrian Martinez not that particular play but that sort of mindset he had and I felt like last year it was a little uh I did I don't know it just it went away for whatever reason and the best example of that was the Purdue play where he's scrambling on a fourth down and could he easily run for a first down and he throws across his body um and and forces something that that completely isn't there and it ends up they get a pass interference and they get a first down but it was a bad play and he just wasn't seeing the field like he he did his freshman year at times um but i have a real open mind about him i think as we thought he had arrived after his freshman year and everybody was ready to praise him and now everybody's kind of down on him you know maybe it's going to swing the other way um Let's also remember Scott Frost's offense in year one at UCF wasn't great. They had some stumbles and they struggled a bit. And then that second year they got it going uh, in a big way. And my point is from year to year, they have shown they can make a big jump. And well, let's see if they can do it from year two to year three here. Rhodes, what do you think about Adrian Martinez going into the third year? Yeah, I, I, it's a, a big question mark for me. I mean, and I think it's fair to, to kind of ask, you know, which, which is the real Adrian, the one that we saw as freshman year uh, or the one that we saw as sophomore year. I, I, I tend to lean more towards his freshman year just because, you know, we, we've seen how he's able to make plays. Um, you know, I think, you know, the, the, the thing that kind of left me scratching my head about his performance last season was just some of the, the decision-making on throws that, you know, really shouldn't have been made. I mean, he, he didn't look like a guy that had uh, a year or more of experience under his belt. So, you know, maybe now that the, the, the non-throwing shoulders repaired, um, now that you, you, you think you have more explosiveness on the outside, 
uh, a better uh, running game, maybe. I mean, maybe that all kind of adds up to help him. But, you know, I, I'm expecting a bounce back year for him. Uh, you know, I, I also think the fact that you've got a quarterback and Luke McCaffrey behind him pushing him helps him even more because I, you know, Mario Verduska and Scott Frost have said you know, they, they thought he uh, relaxed a little bit last year. And I don't think that that's something that, uh, you know, he, I think he knows he can't do that again. And I think based on what the depth chart looks like, he knows he also can't do that. All right. Let's, uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to get into where Nebraska sits on defense, but I want both of you guys to think about which defensive player that you have yet to see play for Nebraska you're most excited to see, or even if it's a redshirt freshman, someone you saw in limited reps last year, uh, some of those guys who got in late in the season uh, that you're, you're kind of looking forward to and you think could be a potential difference maker for Nebraska's group. Before we head into the break, though, do you want to say we are going to do that podcast where we answer your questions Looking for some more five-star reviews. Give us a five-star review. We've got quite a few in. Uh, we got some great questions. We're going to get to that podcast here soon before the season starts. So get your questions in, things you want to know for the 2020 season, things you want to know about the 2021 recruiting class, things you want to know about BC's soup recipes, potentially sock talk, potentially spoken lyrics. I mean, I know that uh, the, the man is a renaissance man. He can do anything. Uh, put BC to work. Do that in your five-star review. We're getting to that podcast soon. Be sure to hit up wherever you do your podcasts at or whoever you get them from. Give us a five-star review, and we'll be getting to that podcast in the month of October. All right, we'll be back with a little bit more Husker 24-7 after this break. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
All right, I teased it before the break. Have you uh, have you guys had enough time to to think about which defensive player that you're you're kind of most excited to see that either you saw limited action last year or uh, you haven't yet seen because he's new to the team. Brunts, we'll uh, we'll start with you this time. Uh, d- does Deontay Williams count? I think he counts, doesn't he? Uh, I mean, you saw him all in 2018, but if you want to be sneaky about it, I guess I can. You didn't I can see him lie. that much. I mean, he had an interception. He had two interceptions, a fumble recovery, and played in like a hundred plus snaps. Yeah, but I mean, they didn't really. Yeah, I, I'm going with Deontay Williams. Like, he was, all right. I, and I think I'm still, you know, adhering to the parameters of the question. But he was the guy last year that during fall camp, everybody said that that his presence was going to allow Nebraska to do some different things on the back end, move guys around, get kind of creative with things. Then he gets hurt. And, you know, the the safety spot, the safety play was okay last year, but it it was definitely missing that guy who was kind of the turnover machine type guy on the back end. And and I, I think having him there, I think will help that secondary and that defense a lot more. So, I want to see Deontay Williams. I want to see a healthy Deontay Williams. And to me, too, I mean, he's a guy that is a little bit older in his career, uh, is probably starting to think a little bit about the next level and if that's going to happen for him. So I, I think he's got the chance for a big year, and I think if he has a nice year, that will help the defense quite a bit. All right, Brian, what, uh, what defensive player are you thinking of here? I'll say Miles Farmer. I feel like I've written a lot of words about Miles Farmer during this long offseason. I'm one of his, the leaders of his fan club. We meet every Tuesday at 3.30 and uh, just talk about Miles Farmer for 30 minutes. And uh, so I'm excited to see him play now that we've discussed him so much. Uh, I feel like even dating back to when he was a recruit, I don't know if I talked to him as much as you did, but once or twice I, I did. And I, he was one of those guys who even in a brief conversation, you're like, okay, this guy's got a little bit of a, some bite to him in a good way. Like you can just tell, like he's, he feels like he's out to prove something as a football player. And from everything we've heard from Travis Fisher, he has kept that mindset since he arrived on the field and off the field. Um, so that, 2019 group of DBs, you're up. Let's see who can make a move. Um, and then I'll throw in one quick wild card since we're talking about that position. And Timon, okay, quick wild card. I'll be, I'll be quick. Timon Lynham, I, I, think, I think he's going to be in the mix. I do. And he's a 2020 guy, but I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if he fights to – I don't know if he's going to be on the two deep or not. That's going to be such an interesting second line on the depth chart, the secondary, because um, there's all these seniors who are going to be at the top, but who's going to fill out the next spot? And there's a lot of candidates. And so uh, those are some guys that come to mind. Yeah, that's a uh, – those those are definitely interesting players in the secondary. I I look at it up front, and there, there's a couple guys, but the one that I think I'm, I'm really kind of intrigued by because I think he has sort of a dual role where he can help you as a nose tackle or as a defensive end depending on what they want in the situation is going to be Jordan Riley. I, I think he's going to be really important to Nebraska early on. I think he's going to get a lot of reps uh, potentially as a nose tackle or even as a defensive end, just like I said, with, with 
however they want to rotate that nose tackle group. You have him, you have uh, potentially Jakeem Green, you have Damian Daniels. I mean, those guys are, are all going to play, but I think Jordan Riley is the one that really stepped up. He's a guy we didn't talk a lot about in his recruitment because he was, one, he was pretty quiet about it, and two, it just kind of happened. But he's a bounce-back guy who was at North Carolina, someone that uh, already had Power 5 level experience, went to the junior college ranks to, to get re-recruited and ends up with Nebraska and feels like he's in a good situation. I know that they're excited about him. He's just someone that I – I think is going to have a, a pretty big role this year. So I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of seeing what Jordan Riley can do up front. Let's, let's stick with the guys in the trenches. How do you kind of see this group playing out? I mean, I think Ben Stilley is someone that you can kind of write in Sharpie that he's going to get a lot of reps on one of the defensive end spots. The rest of it though, I, I know they want to rotate, but how, do you kind of see Ty Robinson emerging as, as someone who plays a lot early on. Do you think DeAndre Thomas cashes in on some of the excitement that, that Brunts and I and others had when he was in a super six? Uh, where, where do you see this thing going, Brunts? Yeah, I think Ty Robinson is going to play early, play a lot and play all over. Um, you know, I, I think you're going to see him at nose. I think you're going to see him at defensive end. Um, you know, you, you, the way that he looks compared to other defensive linemen that Nebraska's recruited of late, um, you know, he, he looks like an NFL type guy down the road. And, you know, I, I, I think he's going to be in the mix. I think you're going to have to have Keem Green in the mix. Certainly Jordan Riley, uh, Damian Daniels. It, it, it's really going to be kind of all hands on deck. I think DeAndre Thomas is going to have some say at defensive end as well. Um, and, you know, even guys that I think a lot of people have maybe written off already, like Tate Wildeman. I think he could also be uh, pushing a bit. Uh, Mosai Newsom, they really like. So, you know, as much as, you know, you, you lose by not having the Davis twins uh, and Darian Daniels in there, three guys who are on uh, NFL rosters, I, I think you have enough bodies and, and potential talent there that you can kind of make that work. And I think that's a group kind of going back to our initial conversation about Ohio State where you would have liked to have had uh, Mosai Newsom going up against, let's say, you know, Cincinnati or uh, another non-conference opponent instead of, you know, getting Ohio State right out of the gate. So those guys are going to get thrown in the fire. They're going to have to be ready to go. But, I, I mean, I, I think Ty Robinson is a future star uh, for Nebraska, and I, I don't think that that's really a stretch to say that. What do you yeah. think about the front group, BC? Yeah, I'd, I'd echo a lot of what Brun say. I, I think Casey Rogers is a name not to forget. Um, I felt like last spring he was making a charge, and he gets mentioned by Tuioti as a guy who's probably in the rotation. I feel like between Casey Rogers and Tate Wildeman, one of those guys really needs to step up. And then I feel at the nose – spot between Damian Daniels and Keem Green one of those guys really needs to step up to go with Jordan Riley I know I feel like Jordan Riley is going to give him something and I think he was it's good that you brought him up Schaefer because uh he's going to be important I believe but I think they need a one-two punch there and is Damian Daniels who when he plays can look really good for a couple snaps is he ready to go from a guy who plays 17 snaps a game to a guy who can play like 35 snaps a game. 
And if he can double that, uh, that might be enough with Jordan Riley and other guys. You can work with that. So that's, that's a big – that's to me a big sidebar is Damian Daniels because I think he's a really talented guy. It's just a matter of can he get in that type of shape and playing, you know, that, that stature as a player where you're like, I can trust this guy for, for a full series out there as opposed to shuttling him in and out. Yeah, he's, he's definitely a, a pivotal player uh, because there, there's a lot of – I mean, he has a, the kind of size and strength that you really want to kind of collapse that interior offensive line. But it's kind of been the story of his time here where the, the motor just hasn't stayed consistent. and the Not the motor so much, but the production hasn't stayed consistent. You get a little sloppy uh, and, and things like that, and it, it can hurt your, your run defense. And we know that's an area where Nebraska wants to improve. We're going to move back a level to the, to the spot on Nebraska's roster that I think is by far the most uh, curious. I, I think an inside linebacker, you've got quite a few options. Outside linebacker, you've got quite a few options. But honestly, and, and BC had a post about this on the, on the message board, who the hell is Nebraska going to run out there as their top four unit? And how much rotation are we going to see? And, and how many of those guys that start that top four finish it when we get to, to mid-December. We'll, uh, we'll go with BC on this since he threw the, the topic out on the message board. If you were to make me to predict the starters against Ohio State today, I would probably take the easy way out and say Caleb Tanner and Doman at outside backer, Honus and Miller at inside. But that's where you'd love this to be a camp where it's up in the air. I want to hear like in two or three weeks when we're talking to those defensive coaches on a Zoom call that they've got a tough decision about that starting spot or it's basically, you know, there's some guys who are pushing to be even. And I think on the inside, you talk about like Luke Reimer and uh, Nick Henrich probably first and foremost as the challengers to the older guys. And one of those guys could knock somebody out of a chair. Um, so I want this to be a camp where there is a lot of discussion or possibility of guys knocking guys out of chairs. Cause I think that tells you uh, that the young bucks are, uh, are coming and, and coming quickly. So that's good. Uh, interesting guy to me at outside backer uh, is Nico Cooper. Uh, I, I feel like, I mean, you people have seen probably the pictures of him on social media. He, he's definitely a guy who, uh, has an impressive look to him. And I think they thought they got a steal with him in the last class. He's got some Juco experience. So he's been through a few things and sometimes guys like that just come, you know, raring to go. Um, so I'd love to see him push a guy like Caleb Tanner to the brink. And I'd love to see Caleb Tanner just respond to it like a champion. And that's, that's what you're hoping for here. That equation. All right, BC's talking musical chairs or some sort of violin version of it. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've talked, chair talked about chairs and jazz music, and uh, I, I don't know. Losing my You're rock. You're a man. I said it earlier. Yeah. We're lucky to have you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Brunts. Yes. What uh, What are you seeing with the chairs at linebacker? <laughs> uh, they're They're all over the place, and. You know, I, I, I think you're hoping that, that somebody emerges there, um, you know, whether that's a Nico Cooper, I mean, maybe a Blaze Gunnarsson who's been around. I mean, it's that's going to be, I, I think, the toughest position to 
predict when that the two deep comes out before the start of the season because I mean you, you kind of know it's going to be Miller and Honus but you know is it is it Henrik and and Reimer or is, it, is somebody else in there I, and I, I think it's also going to be a group where you know maybe the especially an outside backer where maybe the the snap breakdown doesn't necessarily follow what the depth chart says so you know, I, I think there's going to be some games where you're going to see a lot of JoJo Doman. Um, you know, probably that Ohio State game being a good example. Uh, I, I think there's going to be some games where you're probably going to see more uh, Garrett Nelson maybe than uh, Caleb Tanner. I mean, I, I just and, – and the other part of it is, too, is you have a new coach, relatively new coach, uh, handling that group, too. So maybe, you know, his eye kind of changes the depth chart a little bit or, you know, somebody gets a little bit more time that, that maybe wouldn't have just because it's a fresh set of eyes. But, you know, the – I think the ceiling of the defense, um, you know, hinges a lot on not only the, the front three and, and kind of how that plays out, but those outside backers and how much havoc they can create because, you know, we didn't see enough of it last year. And, you know, I, I think that really – set Nebraska's defense back and kind of what they're hoping to build to. Yeah, I, I really think that that level of the defense is going to be a, an interesting one. I think there's a lot of names that, that intrigue me. Uh, there's some guys that, that need to kind of to show up, and there's certainly some development that you hope happens uh, going forward. And so we'll see, um, you know, we'll see what, what comes of that group. Nico Cooper's a name I'm glad BC mentioned. Uh, he's someone that probably doesn't come up enough, but I know Ryan Held was really excited about that pickup uh, as far as other underclassmen there. Jamari Butler really intrigues me, but I, I have a tough time seeing him uh, making an impact as a freshman, but he's someone to keep an eye on down the road. Jameen Graham is a guy that we don't talk about a lot uh, that I'll be very curious if he pushes anybody this year and, and pushes into playing time. Blaze Gunnarsson, can he do it as a true freshman? What does Garrett Nelson look like in the second year? So on and so forth. So those outside linebackers certainly have my attention. And then I've said this a number of times. I won't dwell on it. I think Nick Henrich is going to make a pretty big jump this year. I think he could be uh, the kind of linebacker that Nebraska can depend on going forward. And, and I think he's going to be a pretty special player. And he was in high school. I think he has that ability in college. And so uh, I really kind of want to see what happens with him going forward. One of the things you guys were talking about as we came in, you, you both started talking safeties when we started going on this defensive side of the ball. Uh, I'm really curious as we look at this last level, is this where you think Nebraska has their best set of playmakers on defense, the kind of guys that can come up with that big force fumble or that interception or just have the, the sort of ability to change a game as we saw at UCF where they were getting it from the second level more often than not. But it feels like to me with Cam Taylor-Britt, Deontay Williams, and you hope Miles Farmer, Braxton Clark, and, and potentially DiCaprio Boodle gets on the board, that there's some guys on this, this third final level for Nebraska's defense that could be ball hawks if they can get some pressure up front. What do you think, Brian? Yeah, safety should be a strength. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I've talked a lot about Miles Farmer, but I think – I think Markel Dismuke is a guy who his contributions to the defense get overlooked. He's just a stable guy. And he's sort of the perfect person to have back there with Deontay right now, especially in this tough early schedule where they've been through it a little bit. 
Uh, they understand each other well, even though they haven't had a lot of game experience together. They've had a lot of practice reps together. And I think they could feed off each other and be a pretty good tandem while some younger guys kind of grow uh, through some backup type snaps where, you know, maybe you can sprinkle in Miles Farmer, Noah Pola Gates. And uh, so they have a pretty good setup. And that's also why I haven't lost my mind about, I know there's been some departures and with Travis Fisher's room, you know, some recruits who got here and they left quickly. I think they're fine. I really do. I, I look across that, that room and it's, I don't see a depth crisis at any of the positions. In fact, they have enough depth that they're probably moving Javen Wright, who we didn't mention at outside backer. Um, you know, it sounded like he was probably going to get his look there now. And so I, I feel pretty good about it that they, they can have a good two deep and maybe even a three deep um, beyond, uh, beyond Deontay Williams and uh, Mark Dismute. But those guys have to stir the drink and they've got to be playmakers and uh, kind of set the tone for what this is supposed to look like. What do you think, bro? Do you guys think, going back quick, quickly to outside linebacker, do you think that's one position where maybe Nebraska really takes a look at a guy that – you know, especially with the, this season essentially not counting for eligibility, but maybe taking a, a harder look at somebody that might be able to give them, say, 10 good snaps a game uh, rather than just being the guy every down? Do you have someone in mind as you pose this scenario? No, no. I mean, just like you, you're talking about guys like, you know, Jameen Graham or, you know, somebody like that that, you know, maybe gets lost or, you know, a uh, – even a Javen Wright or somebody like that. I mean, I, I just think that's a position and given the, the kind of circumstances around this year that maybe you get, get a little bit deeper into uh, your, your, your roster maybe at that spot. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that leads into a really sort of interesting discussion that I'm sure we can have in more detail at, at another time on, on the idea of how Nebraska will approach this year I think from the outside perspective, you look at it like, oh, it's an opportunity to experiment, to get some of your younger guys in, uh, to do some different things. And yet we also know the general nature of these coaches are to be conservative and to, to stick with the routine. And so, I mean, obviously they want to do whatever they can to win games, but I don't know if that means that they'll experiment uh, in the way that we would love to see him do. So you can kind of find out what you have up a Javen Wright early on or what you mean Graham can actually give you. Uh, so I, I, I love the idea of it, but I'm always sort of skeptical of coaches having the same willingness to experiment in what is generally a pretty conservative uh, profession. I mean, we're, the NFL is just now getting into uh, pistol and, and run pass option offenses. I mean, so we, we know that it's just a – it's a tough sport to sometimes get them into that experiment mode. And, and so I don't know if, if Scott Frost is, is willing to do that. Am I looking at this the wrong way, Browns? No, I mean, I think, well, it, it always comes down to trust, right? Like if you, even if you're throwing a guy out there for 10 plays a game, you have to trust that he's in the right spot, that he's not going to, you know, make some mistake that's going to cause you to lose a game. I get that. But I, I just don't know if, you know, this, the staff also was very focused, I think is probably a good way to put it on uh, the, the four game thing, kind of trying to get what they could out of certain guys. But I, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it seems to me that this defense needs 
they, they need difference makers and guys that can create issues, you know, outside of having to have something schemed up uh, against an opposing offense. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's, I, I, I agree with your point completely. I just don't know if, you know, maybe this year, if there's any, uh, wouldn't be the year. And also, I mean, we know how things are. I mean, even if you, you throw a guy like a Javen Wright or somebody in there just to see what he can do, uh, you know, suddenly the, that goes under the microscope. So I get it. I'm just kind of throwing out the idea, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think it's a great idea. I'm just, you know, they did it with JoJo Doman uh, for that Ohio State week, and, and certainly he's stuck at outside linebackers. So it's not like it's a foreign concept, but um, – I'm just curious if, if we're actually going to – because none of these freshmen, it doesn't matter how many games they play. It doesn't matter how many games anybody plays. Uh, and so does that make a team more open to actually getting some of these guys on the field? It really becomes interesting to, to me, Brian. Yeah. To that point, I truly believe over the next three to four weeks, probably about as big a story as anything is going to be – there's going to be one – of those names. We've talked about all those outside linebacker options. And I feel like somebody, you're going to hear that one name kind of emerges. Okay. He's in the mix with Caleb Tanner, Garrett Nelson and Doman. And whoever that guy is, um, that's going to be like one of the biggest camp stories there is because of what we're talking about of the need for a playmaker there and how that can change the whole dynamic of a defense. So, um, I, I honestly think that's going to be one of the most interesting storylines is, is it, is it Nico Cooper? Is it Javen Wright? Who is it? And then how much are you willing to go with that guy? It is always easier said than done in defensive coaches on this to say several weeks before a season, oh, they should sprinkle this guy in here, that guy there. And sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad. They still play the games and then have post-game call-in shows uh, if you lose 56 to 7. And no one is that excited if Javen Wright played eight snaps if you got beat by that score. You know what I mean? So it is, it's, it's still a deal where it always sounds good to say, like, oh, we're going to play this guy and that guy and build it for the future. And I do think you have to do some of that. But if you're going to, there better not be much drop off. You better feel like sort of like Greg Austin feels with his offensive line now, I think, where he believes I can actually play second team guys and sprinkle guys in, and I'm not suffering because of it, because they're actually to that level. We're going to see if on the defensive side, there's that same kind of trust where that second level is actually that close to the top tier. All right. Uh, let's, let's go ahead and close this out. What, uh, what, if anything, did we not get to that you want to stress about Nebraska's roster or team right now as we're still a few weeks away from the start of the season? You have any final thoughts, Bruns? Yeah, uh, special teams. It's going to be huge. Uh, they're going to have to figure out some roles. Uh, you've got everybody on campus now that uh, Daniel Cerny's in town uh, from, from Australia and, and out of quarantine. So should be a lot of eyes on that group. There won't be until they uh, get out there for October 24th. But that's the kind of area where I think you could uh, steal a game or two or also drop a game or two with uh, as weird as everything's been. Yeah, that's a, that, that's a good one. Um, I guess the final thought, we got into the running game and getting it going, but specifically get unpacking that a little bit. 
I mean, that's going to be pretty fun to see who's the guy who's sort of next with, with Dedrick Mills, you know, is it, is it Ramir Johnson? Is it one of the true freshmen, Marvin Scott, Sevion Morrison? It looks like Ronald Tompkins is hopeful that he's going to get a shot to compete now after the serious injuries, which would be a cool story. So it's not like they don't have talented guys who had really strong high school resumes to choose from there, but now who's ready to do it at this level and are they ready to do it right away where you have maybe three guys you feel pretty comfortable with at the position? Yeah, no, that's uh that's a, that's a great point with Nebraska's running game and, and, there's a lot of intrigue about how that's going to shake out behind Mills and then who could, uh, who could fill that spot. All right, let's, uh, let's go ahead and, and wrap this thing up. Be sure to check out Husker247.com. There's plenty of content there. Uh, I've been running a series on just kind of rewinding people and, and getting them to remember what's already in Nebraska's 2021 class. It's been kind of fun to go back through. And, and you got guys like Randolph Kapai, who we don't talk a ton about. I wrote about Branson Yeager today. It's probably been a while since people's, thought about his name uh there there's some good players in this class and i'll be doing that uh going through all of nebraska's 18 commitments and of course more uh when they add more and i think there's going to be some recruiting news around the corner we'll come back with another podcast again this week and we'll get into some recruiting and and some other stuff maybe we can get some sock talk out of bc at this point i know that's uh that's been requested we'll see where the socks are hanging inside the big 10 before this season starts uh, and, uh, of course, as I said before, hit us up with your podcast reviews. We're going to do that mailbag question, uh, questionnaire podcast before the start of this season. And uh, we would love your five-star review. Five-star review and a question guarantees you on the podcast. So be sure to do that wherever you get your podcast. We'll be back later this week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.